Good morning, church family. Whether you're here in person in a watch group or watching us online, it is great to be together, gathered at this time to just continue in our series and continue to be blessed by not only what the Word of God has to say today, but those testimonies. Weren't they great? That was so exciting to hear how people are seeing God working in their lives, and it's always great to watch people being baptized. Such an encouraging thing that we're doing each week during this series, um, kind of in the, the spirit of, and they were adding to their numbers daily. It's been neat to see that happening here at church, even in a difficult time um, where there's a lot of sacrifices being made, a lot of different things going on, but we're persevering through it, we're pioneering through it, and um, we're going to navigate this and get through this in an amazing way. I believe a massive revival is headed its way in our church, and we're seeing God build that as we, even in this time when uh, we're kind of spread apart, we're all in different locations, you guys got lots of leg room here in the auditorium, and um, God is good, and we get to just take a break from this crazy world we live in for a minute and just focus on the Word of God this morning as we continue in our our Pioneer Series. It's been good to hear people are into this. They're getting excited about this. In fact, I had a chance to, to talk to some people even after the service last week, and they were sharing what, what kind of apostle they were most like, you know? And uh, everybody's got a different personality. Parents, have you noticed this? You raised three, four children. All of them are different and, and, and in various ways. And, and many of you enjoyed getting to know the first pioneers, if you will, a little bit better and, and getting to see what they were like. And, and how much you can kind of associate with that type of personality that followed Jesus. And we're gonna revisit that today as we carry on. Hey, we've talked about what a pioneer is. A pioneer has a whatever, whenever, however, I'm in. It's not on these conditions, on my timing, and only if we do it my way. That's not a pioneer for the Lord. A pioneer goes, let's do this. However you want me to do it, God, I'm in. And I think at one point in your life, you're going to get to a faith step where you go, you know what? This can't be my parents' faith anymore. This can't be just this faith I grew up thinking about. This has got to be me saying to God, amen, what do you got for me? And that's what we're going through as a church even. We're going into a little bit of an unknown. A lot of new things are happening in our lives. And we thought, what a time to talk about pioneering in faith for God. Thus the Act series and what we'll be spending our time in uh, this fall. Hey, I, I wanna bring up a pioneer that I, I recently was reading about and was inspired by. Had a whatever, whenever, however type of spirit. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He was educated much like us at Oxford and Cambridge, right? Is that everybody here? I mean, that's us, right? So he was educated at Oxford and Cambridge. So, so okay, we have an educated person here, all right? Um, he was pioneering something due to a dissatisfaction he was finding. Being a linguist himself, he knew seven languages. I mean, it's difficult to know seven languages, am I right? Maybe a few of you know one or two, right? Uh, uh, but seven languages? Really, man? Okay? Uh, this guy's educated, but he's frustrated, and he was noticing when his time period was in the 1500s that liturgy was centered on Latin, and the people spoke English. And there was a disconnect between the people and what was being said. He was very frustrated about this, and he took it to the authorities, the early church fathers. He said, we gotta get the Bible in English, Part of his discouragement and part of the thing that reached the apex moment of his, of his kind of defeat about the common man not being able to read the Bible in English was that many people, he said, don't know who the 12 apostles are. They don't even know who they are. How many of you would even argue before last week you were a little fuzzy on who the apostles were? Some of you got Luke as an apostle, okay? I mean, Luke, uh, you, you shout him out and, and you go, wait, wait a minute, there were apostles, disciples, okay, there were 11, one got replaced, all these things. And he was frustrated that the church didn't even know who the apostles were. And he said, I gotta fix this. And, and being a linguist himself and being a scholar, he began to desire to translate the Bible from its original language in Greek into English, he went and got permission, and he was turned down immediately in London. And so, like any pioneer, you often hear the story, they traversed new territory. They got shut down one place, they went to another. And he went to Germany and began to hunt for a place where he could get printed English Bibles. And so he could write these and give them out. Well, 
Word got out that he was doing this and being turned down because early church fathers were fearful. One, they would lose control over the people if they could read it themselves. But two, they were fearful that this could be done in a way that was not um, scriptural to them. And they even called this man led by the Antichrist himself. And so he was hunted for they sought to not just reprimand him, but have him be immediately imprisoned for what he was doing. And so he went on basically this mission from town to town, hiding and writing, hiding and writing, hiding and writing, and he had different confidants come along with him and keep him in safety. Um, and, and some autobiographies, they call him God's outlaw, okay? But he kept writing what you read, the English scriptures you get today because of this man's pioneering work. But being hunted and hunted and hunted, he had to be very careful with who he associated with. And unfortunately, there was a man named Henry Phillips who befriended him, acted interested in what he was doing, worked with him daily, gained his confidence, and then betrayed him and handed him over to authorities. It wasn't long after that he was led out into the middle of the street. Young people, this is how they took care of things in the past. The good old days, by the way. 1500s, out in the middle of the street, took him to a stake, okay? Strangled him on that stake. Had gunpowder around his feet, lit it, and burned his body into ashes. They say his last words when standing at the stake were, Lord, open the eyes of the king. The king at the time was Henry the eighth. Henry the eighth, two years later, God answered that prayer even through a man that was a pagan. And that man declared that he wanted the English Bible in every church. And so every church got an English Bible in 15, I believe, 38. You can fact check me. The English Bible went out to different churches. In fact, you know why you sit in rows and not in circles like the early church did? Constantine, one of the early church fathers, declared people to sit in rows because the clergy were the most educated men in the town. People didn't, weren't able to understand the scriptures, and so they would present it to them. And that's how the church went from circling and gathering in different synagogues and circles and eating to sitting in rows so that they could understand what was not understandable. This man enabled us to have the English Bible and is credit for some of the most amazing phrases in translation into the English Bible that you read today. Do you know his name? Who's our pioneer? His name is William Tyndale, and he is an inspiration as well as a pioneer of your scripture. Today, we're gonna walk into Acts again and we're gonna learn more acts of faith, meet more pioneers, and meet one specifically who behaved more like this Henry Phillips than Tyndale. We're gonna meet the man who betrayed Jesus Christ, not only to his face, but with a kiss. The most respectful, submissive act any student can give a rabbi is to kiss them, and that's the very way he used to betray him. Have you ever been betrayed? Can you think of a moment in your life where someone lied to you? Can you think of a time period where someone broke a vow? I mean, people can remember wounds all the way into their elementary school years of people who have betrayed them. If you've ever felt that wound, that hurt of a close friend, the relationship is now broken or soured, you felt what many people say, getting stabbed in the back. If you've ever been there, I want you to know Jesus has been there too. And I want you to know there's inspiration from this story today, but there's also some ways out if you've been the one who's betrayed. And so today I pray that as we walk into what's kind of a dark story, okay, we can gain inspiration from it to not only not behave a certain way, but to pioneer with faithfulness into the future. So all my dear brothers and sisters who have felt betrayal today, I pray God gives you a hug. But all of those who are thinking about betrayal, I pray God gives you a warning sign. And I pray we walk out of here changed because of it. 
Heavenly Father, it's time to pioneer into our book of Acts even further. And today we're going to talk about a man who had the audacity to turn on my Savior. Scripture does not speak kindly of this man. History does not speak kindly of this man. His legacy doesn't speak at all. But I pray that we can learn from this and watch for characteristics building up in our own life. But furthermore, make sure we become people of faith that can be trusted when our moment's called so that we don't get replaced from a position of prominence for decisions we've made. We pray this in your name, asking for your blessing over this time and over this message. Amen. Okay, let's dive in. If you got your book, if you got your digital, if you've got your computer in front of you, if you're sitting in a room and you wanna follow in on the screen, open the book of Acts, okay? The Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of Faith, the Acts of the Early Church, you can give it all. These are actions. Our author is Luke, and he is penning our section today. Acts chapter one, verses 12 through 26. We're gonna finish the first chapter. If you recall last week, if you were joining us, the disciples were left standing, looking into heaven. Why? Jesus had ascended, okay? And he didn't go up on a cable, so he, they weren't at sight and sound, all right? He just went up into a cloud, many believe was the Shekinah cloud, and he's gone, and they're standing there, and angels appear, and they say, man of Galilee, why are you standing there? Because angels, we just saw a dude go straight up, so clearly he is God, they go, you have a job to do. You have work to do. You are to be Jesus' witnesses. You are to go out and witness. And it's so sad. We have made witnessing something we go do. Have you ever heard that? Hey, I'm thinking about going and witnessing. You're witnessing all the time. When you bear the love of Jesus Christ and you claim yourself as a believer, people are watching you. I promise people are watching you. They're watching everything. In fact, they don't like to watch these moments where you're sitting here just listening to scripture. Of course you can do that. They actually like to watch the hard moments in life. If they find you're a believer at work, they wanna see what you do when the boss does that. They wanna see if you join in in the complaining and the gossiping. They wanna see how you respond to rejection. People like watching how you respond when things don't necessarily go your way. And in doing so, you're being a witness. It's not something you go do, it's something you do all the time. You witness, you demonstrate Jesus Christ to this world. I've been around college scouts. One of the things they like to do is they go, yeah, the kid got a hit. I wanna see how he behaves when he strikes out. I wanna see what he does as he's walking back. I wanna see what he says to his teammates as he's going into the dugout. I wanna see what he's like. Like that, how many of you are people watchers? You do that too. You go, mm, I watch that. I watch that. Some of you girls are like this. You see that guy, his head just kept going. I watched the whole time. We watch people. We wanna see what they're like. We wanna see things that get unveiled a little bit. These guys are standing in heaven and the angels say, go, get going, get going. You're gonna be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth, we finished in Acts 1.8. Get out there. Get going. Jerusalem, that's your hometown. Judea, your surrounding area, your Bucks County, if you will. Uh, or if you live in another state, your surrounding area. The tri-state area, if you're localized here, if you're joining us in another state, whatever your tri-state area is. And then to the ends of the earth, he wants this message to go out and go out and go out. Guys, don't stand there. Go. But first stay in Jerusalem for 10 days, because in 10 days, the Holy Spirit's gonna come. What's that gonna be like? He's gonna come. So stay localized. I want you in Jerusalem, we learned. So our disciples did exactly what Jesus told them to do, and that's where we pick up the text. They says this. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, okay? So that's where they were. They saw Jesus ascend, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And all of you go, oh yeah, a Sabbath day journey, of course. What's a Sabbath day journey? Hmm. Um, uh, how far? I'll tell you next week. No, I'm not gonna tell you. We're gonna leave knowing now. Do you know what a Sabbath day journey is? Do you read stuff like this in scripture and go, what is that? Or you just read past it. 
Okay, don't let scripture be boring. Scripture's exciting, okay? Um, you know, the people say, I don't know about the Bible. So like, I go to church, it's kind of boring. Well, people are boring, not the Bible, okay? There are people who present the Bible in horrifically boring ways. I'm with you all. And there is times where I'm bored. Just stay with me. Just look at me. It makes me feel better, okay? But, but the, there's nothing boring about the Bible. I want to know what's the Sabbath day journey. Well, let's get some information here. Let's jump under the text, jump into seminary with me. Let's do some historical background. Um, what is the Sabbath day? That is the day of rest. Okay, so the rabbinic rules on the Sabbath day. The rabbis always say how far you can travel, all right? And so there was a distance they were allowed to travel. They were allowed to travel on the Sabbath day and no further, 2,000 cubits. And you're all like, oh, well done. How far is 2,000 cubits? Well, how far is 2,000 cubits? Well, if you do a little work, you'll find out 2,000 cubits is roughly 1,000 to 2,000 yards. Hmm, what's that? Well, there's 100 yards in a football field. So you could travel, let's say, 10 football fields to 20 football fields, okay? Give or take, all right? So, so now you're getting an idea of how long the Sabbath journey was. And just like us today, you know how we like to find loopholes in all our mandates? Well, they said to do this, but if I do this and then I do this, it appears like I'm doing this. They, they, they were like, well, does it count if I'm riding my donkey and then walking? Do we add both of those miles up, right? Okay, so they did these things too. But it was 2,000 cubits, 2,000 miles. So, so here's 2,000 yards, excuse me. So here's the idea. They weren't far away. They were not far away from the Mount of Olivet. They went back into Jerusalem. It was not that far a journey. And when they had entered into what they called the upper room, and it appears, it appears there's multiple upper rooms in scripture because this upper room in its lowest level of looking through the words, it, it seems this might be a different upper room than the upper room where Jesus gave the Lord's supper. So they might've been like, like hiding around and doing different things and going different places because they were afraid for their lives. Okay, they were followers of what was called the way. Whenever you hear Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, well, they were referred to as these disciples are people of the way. They follow the way. I've always liked that because it harkens back to John 14, 6. But, but they're in this upper room and they're staying. And Luke tells you who's in the room. And I want you to do this. Young people, stay with me too. Who's not listed? You ready? Peter and John, okay, and James. John and James, sons of thunder, they're there. They're always near Jesus. So Peter, John, James, and Andrew. Ah, oh, yeah, Andrew. We love Andrew, uh, the quiet servant leader. Philip, the details guy, and Thomas. Yep, Thomas is there, the one who needed to see the holes. Bartholomew, who is often in scripture, also called Nathaniel, all right? So he's there. And Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus is there, okay? And Simon, the zealot. And Judas, the son of James, well, who's Judas, the son of James? Well, his name is also referred to in scripture as Thaddeus. Don't you love how they have multiple names? It makes it difficult, doesn't it? Even Peter, Simon, Peter, what is it? Well, they got all these guys listed and there's one not there. And it's Judas Iscariot. Where is he? What happened? I mean, I look at this room. And I, and I know this room is filled with lots of different personalities. Look at, look at the 11 that are, that are listed here. I've got their names. Peter, the influential leader. We talked about him last week, the alpha male type. Hey, guys, let's go to the upper room. All right, we're going. James, the passionate one. Jesus, Jesus, do we just need to call down thunder on these guys? You wanna strike them with lightning? I mean, just a zealous, passionate guy. I'd say this guy's probably the athlete. Peter's the alpha male. Then you got John, the man of conviction. You either love God or you hate God, all right? This is the black and white guy. Terrific man of conviction. You got Andrew, the quiet servant leader. Some of you are like, oh, that's like my dad. My dad's just that behind the scenes, just awesome guy. You got Philip, the details guy. He knew the numbers. Jesus called out to him. Hey, I wanna feed all these thousands of people. How much money we got? 200 denarii is all we got. It's not enough. He knows the details. There's always a detailed guy. You got Bartholomew or Nathaniel, the scholar. Remember, he was the one who, who knew the scripture so well. He was awaiting a Messiah. And then when Philip told him, we found the Messiah, he's from Nazareth. He goes, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, this is a highly educated guy. You got Matthew, the recovering rebel. You know somebody, they came to Christ late in life. They got a kind of a past, a little bit of a checkered past. They don't care about theology or what color the carpet is. They wanna get people saved. They gotta know Jesus. You got Thomas, that faithful, loyal, worshiping guy. 
You know some people are just worshipers of the Lord? They just love Jesus and they're faithful. You got James, the obscure one, yeah, yeah, that, that guy that nobody, nobody knows. We, there's nothing written about him. You know, when we get to heaven, let's all go find him, all right? And say, hey, man, my bad, you know? What happened? What did you do with your life, right? But, but I want you to understand something. All those people who feel obscure, Jesus listed, made sure he was listed every time. Jesus never misses his kids, never. Doesn't matter if the world knows him or not. You got Thaddeus, the hyper guy. Jesus, why don't you show yourself to everybody, not just us? You, you got Simon, the political activist. He was a zealot, okay, constantly like, come on, we gotta bring back the Jews. We gotta make it great. We gotta, we gotta tear it down Rome. But then you got the betrayer. Judas, a man of hypocrisy. Even Jesus said, one of you is not clean. Duplicity, double-minded, fake, in the room, but not with Jesus. A man of greed. We see throughout the gospels, he was a thief, and being in charge of the money bag, he would help himself to it. Stealing from God. Maybe Philip thought there was 200 denarii. There might have been only 150 denarii if Judas was the one holding the bag. He was a man of darkness. In fact, Satan easily made his way into him. As soon as Judas took the bread, it was at communion. Satan entered him, John tells us. Judas betrayed the Son of God. You know, in leadership, you always kinda, you watch out for betrayal in leadership. If you're a boss out there or you're starting a new company or things, betrayal's kind of a fear for you. You don't, you don't want betrayal around you if you're running an office, anything like that. And, and um, even in your own life, young people, you should be watching for signs of manipulation in relationships as well as possible betrayal. You should be watching for, we shouldn't be naive to this game. And so reading this text, I thought, I wanna, I wanna enhance myself a little bit on being able to spot manipulation and betrayal characteristics. And I'm reading about the number one betrayer of all time. Why don't I write a few of these things down? So these are just things I put in my notes. I'll share with them today. You can take them or throw them out. It's only gonna take me two minutes to share them with you. But there's some characteristics I spotted in Judas that I think we could watch for ourselves. Makes us a little more wise of the game. And for you ladies, especially young girls, guard your heart, okay? Guard your heart, guys, guard your heart too. But we need to watch them for some of these things. I want you to see some characteristics that are in all betrayers that are spotted in, in Judas, okay? Um, subtle disrespect, subtle. Not big, just subtle. Here's what I mean. He was the one disciple who continually referred to Jesus as rabbi, not Lord. Many of them say, Lord, 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 Lord. You hear Judas, he says, rabbi, 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 the one I kiss, okay? He yells out to him, rabbi. Subtle signs of disrespect. Not real blatant, but you just tell this person isn't offering me respect in very subtle ways. Here's another one, increasing avoidance. When betrayal is about to occur, avoidance in relationship begins to get farther and farther and farther and farther apart. Working with married couples, one of the things you'll hear before a betrayal takes place is they begin to talk to themselves only through their children. Go tell your dad, go tell your mom. Slowly, the relationship gets farther and farther apart. So increasing avoidance is something you wanna watch for. He's always listed last, and the order of the disciples listed is always their relationship with Christ. That's not made up. Scholars have shown that pretos is used with Peter in one of the gospels, and that means preeminent or first, okay? So the further down the list, the further their relationship was from Jesus. Judas is always listed last. Third, exposing moments. When someone's gonna betray you, there's always some few moments that make you go, hmm, that, that, that felt funny. That didn't sound right. That doesn't look good. Something's wrong. Judas had exposing moments. In fact, when someone poured ointment on top of Jesus, he ran up and said, hey, whoa, 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 what are you doing? You understand that could have been sold for the poor? We could have made money off this ointment. What are you doing? One of the gospel writers says, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Exposing moments. Man, that, that looked dishonest. If you're willing to be dishonest with that, you're willing to be dishonest with more. And then finally, obvious resentment begins to build. If you study out the word um, for kiss, 
it can almost carry this sense, okay? It's not foregone conclusion, but it can always carry a sense that it was more like, mm, 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 mm. almost like um, a terrible, obvious resentment and humiliation going on. And, and there's times when someone is going to betray you, there is a building obvious resentment in the relationship, and it's spoken out loud and communicated. I think we should be watching for these things in our own life and inside the life of others that maybe we could intersect it and prevent betrayal from happening. But Judas betrayed Jesus. On the night he was praying in the garden, had tears pouring down his eyes, and Judas gathers together a Roman cohort and goes to betray him. Let's go to that night. We're on the Garden of Gethsemane. If you've ever traveled over into where Jesus walked. You'll note that the Garden of Gethsemane sits on a hill and you can actually see down the valley. So there's no way they couldn't have seen torches coming up the valley, rising up towards where the garden was. Now Judas would know Jesus is there because Jesus frequented it often. And let's pick up the text that's in John because the Gospel of John shares a story about Jesus that I think should enhance the person who feels bad that Jesus got tricked I think this will fortify the faith of someone who says, how can God allow a traitor in his midst? Are you stupid? I think this will fortify the faith of the person who says, just how could you do that to Jesus? I mean, he was so perfect and you just betrayed him. I've been betrayed by people who love me. It's the worst possible thing that can happen to someone. And Jesus has felt that for any of you who felt like, oh, just God got tricked here and fooled and betrayed. I got a story in the gospel of John of that night that shows you how much Jesus was actually in control of the whole thing. For he knew it was going to happen. He came for a mission and he knew what he was there for. John writes about it. They're up in the garden. Okay. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kindra. Where there was a garden, okay, which he and his disciples entered. Now, now, now Judas who betrayed him also knew that place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. The very place Jesus grew them in their learning. Judas said, he'll be there. He'll be comforting the disciples. I know it. I know it. Let's go. Scripture continues. So Judas, having procured, big word for got together, a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, he went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Judas said, how much will you give me if I turn Jesus in? They said, 30 pieces of silver. He said, done. And he gathered up this cohort, which how many is that? A Roman cohort is about 400 people. Okay, so Jesus is one guy. Judas said, hey, we should probably have a lot of people with us. Then Jesus, look at this, knowing all that would happen to him, this is written in John 18, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? Movies have destroyed this for us, right? They've got him coming up and the disciples like, oh no, they're here, oh no, you know? And Jesus going, oh no, I'm gonna be caught. The Gospel of John says, Jesus approached them. They're coming up, 400 men, we're coming to get Jesus, Jesus is looking for him. And Jesus gets up, walks over to him, goes, whom do you seek? Oh, Jesus my hero, I just love him. Who do you guys seek? So they answer, Jesus of Nazareth. We're looking for Jesus. He's like standing right in front of you guys. Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he, Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said them, to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Whom do you seek? Uh, Jesus of Nazareth, I am he. Okay, what has to happen in your life for you to draw back and fall down? I'm not like, hey, uh, hey I'm in here looking for... Um, Somebody walks up to me, hey, hey, uh, do you know where Pastor Chris is? Oh, hi, I'm Pastor Chris right here. <clears throat> if you do that, I'm first of all, what are you doing, okay? <laughs> what happened? Now, I got a huge imagination, but I just wonder, did he speak like the God of the Old Testament who said, I am, and the children of Israel said, please never let him talk again? It terrified them. We don't want to hear that again. He thundered on Mount Sinai. Did Jesus go, I am he? And the crown shook and the trees shook and they fell to the ground and laid there. I got my gut that, yeah, he did. 
I get goosebumps thinking about it. And they fell to the ground. And keep in mind, Judas, who Satan entered, is laying on the ground before my Savior. So I have a mental picture of the devil confronting Jesus to betray him. And Jesus said, I am he. And he fell on his butt before him. Amen? You do not serve a weak God. You do not serve a little God. You serve a massive God who is in control of this moment, even the betrayal. They're so scared, Jesus has to ask them again what they came for. Guys, whom do you seek? He asks them again. Uh, they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these guys go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Judas was not given. Judas is gone. Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And just in case you're out there thinking about breaking a vow, thinking about betraying a friend, thinking about doing something in your company, I don't know who needs to hear this, but I'm gonna offer seven consequences to betrayal that you should make note of before you think about doing it. Whether you did it in the past or are thinking in the future, stay with me here. There's massive consequences to betrayal even after forgiveness is offered at times. Here's some of them, okay? Um, one, deep inflicted wounds. You're betraying the son of man with a kiss? When you betray somebody, you put wounds on them and scars on them that last their entire lives. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. Betrayal puts wounds on teenagers that don't just go away. They last, and they don't trust, and they're fearful, and it puts them on shaky ground, and they need a ton of grace and a ton of love to rebuild trust in people. Before you think about it, Remember, you will inflict deep, deep wounds on people. Second, there's a loss of overriding respect. All the gospel writers will not mention his name without saying the betrayer. And then Judas came to Jesus, the one who betrayed him. And then Judas was in the garden, the one who betrayed him. They will not let you read a gospel account without knowing this guy betrayed our Lord. You give up surrender ground to the devil. You give up footholds, Peter calls them. When you act in ways of betrayal like Judas did, evil was already put in his heart to betray him, John 13, 2 says. He had surrendered ground. You're giving the devil an opportunity. The scripture says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't give the devil an opportunity in your life. You're open to the Lord's discipline. Mark 14, 21 says, woe to the man who betrays the son of God. You know what it says after that? It says it'd be better for him to not even be born. People who struggle with dark, dark thoughts, you know what one of the phrases they say? It just better if I'm not even born. The devil's still using that. Lingering shame. Judas said in Matthew 27, 4, after he saw Jesus die, he went back to the priest and said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. I've betrayed innocent blood. He threw the 30 pieces of silver back at them. He just couldn't live with himself. He had such lithering shame. And then he had self-loathing. How do we know? For in Matthew 27, 5, Judas went out and hanged himself. Judas committed suicide. He couldn't live with himself for what he had done. The priest took the 30 pieces of, shuffle, shuffle, um, of silver and went and bought land with it for they didn't want it because they said that's blood money. There's a legacy of failure. Scripture would define him as the son of destruction for the rest of time. Have you been lying to someone? Who needs this? Uh, uh, are you tempted to slander someone? Who needs this? Pause, stop, listen. There is a tremendous shrapnel to betrayal. Consider that before you make any decision this week or even this month or the rest of your life. So we got these 12 apostles and one is gone. What do we do? He's lost trust. You can't just regain trust. He can't come back. And now we find out he's killed himself. What do we do? What do we do? And so what do you expect to have happen? Peter stands up, of course. Hey, I got this. 
So Peter stands up and says, look, um, among the brothers, the company of persons was all in about 120. So now there's like 120, they're gathered together. What do we do? We're down to 11 apostles. One's betrayed Jesus. We're waiting here in Jerusalem. We've got to move forward. So Peter stands up and says this. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. David talked about Judas? He did. We find it in Psalm 109. The greatest passage ever to read if somebody's betrayed you is chapter 109, okay? If you've ever been betrayed, Psalm 109 needs to be read by you this week, okay? Um, but David can talked about this, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, Okay, so this was to fulfill something. Yes, yes, it was to fulfill something. For he, for he was numbered among us. He was one of the 12. This is a, an official position, and he was allotted his share in the ministry. He had a lot offered. Jesus offered this to him, but he's gone. Now this man, Peter says, acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. Now I'm gonna tell you, this is gonna get a little gross, because Peter's gonna give you a little more detail of what happened after he was hung. He fell headlong and he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. Thanks, Peter. Did you expect anything more from Peter, by the way? His intestines fell all over the ground. It became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language Alceldama or Alkeldama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms. May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. Let another take his office? We're gonna replace Judas? How do we do this? What will be the requirements? I mean, he was called by God. Jesus now has ascended into heaven and we're gonna replace him? Yeah, let another. So, so Peter starts laying out what we're looking for. He said this, so, so, so one of the men who have accompanied us, I'm looking for somebody who was one of us. During all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So he needed to be with us the whole time. I'm not looking for some new guy. I want somebody who was with us the whole time and somebody who traveled with us. Beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. That's the kind of guy I'm looking for. So, so Judah, excuse me, Peter is telling the apostles, let's narrow our focus to a guy who was one of us, who has traveled with us, and who saw the resurrected Savior. He said, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two. Two guys come up. Joseph called Barsabbas, okay? Who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed. And they said, you, Lord, who know the heart of all, Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his place. Show us, Lord. Here's the two. And then we see them practice an Old Testament type of thing called casting lots, okay? Watch this. And they cast lots from them, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with 11 apostles. Now, what was this casting lots? Here's your first glance at the transitional nature that Acts was from the Old Testament into the New Testament practices. For example, the casting of lots, 70 times in the Old Testament, they casted lots to determine the will of God. God instructed them to do this, so it wasn't wrong for them to cast lots. Whether it was a die, whether it was coins of silver, they would cast these lots out. Now, the greatest equivalent I could give you today is flipping a coin, okay? So you're saying we got our 12th apostle by flipping a coin? Well, God would honor that decision in the casting of lots. You say, well, why don't we do that today? That would make life a lot easier, right, college students? Like, which college should I go to? Ready, God? We're going, here if it's heads, here's if it's tails. There we go, bang, okay, that was easy, let's go. Why aren't we doing that now? One, we're not instructed. Two, it's only happened seven times in the New Testament, this being one of them, and it's something that once the canon of scripture or the Bible is given to us, we don't really have a need for. And because the church is not instructed to do it, we don't cast lots, okay? But they did it this time period, and it fell on Matthias. And what do we know about Matthias is one, he was a man of familiarity. He was one who has been with us. He's a one of us guy. He grew up in the system, if you will. 
Two, he's a man of regard. They selected him. The 11 apostles go, these two guys we want in front of us. So, so clearly his testimony was awesome. And then third, his name means gift of Yahweh. He was given by God. I do kind of feel bad. I mean, the one guy, the lots didn't fall on him. When I get to heaven, I'm gonna be like, sorry, bro. I mean, you were that close to one of the apostles. He's like, it's all good. They all died in martyred death. I don't know what happened to him. But, but, but Matthias is chosen by God. Let another take his place. You know, there's a, there's a principle here that I wanna use for our application today. I promise you at the end of every sermon during Pioneers, I wanna give some acts of faith that we can walk out of here learning from the text. And this phrase, let another, speaks to me because I think we've all seen somebody in our life get replaced and somebody step up and God use them in big ways. I refer to it as the Matthias principle whenever that happens. Someone was ready for an opportunity and took it when it came. How many of you know, it's getting dated now, but how many of you know the name Drew Bledsoe? Drew Bledsoe was an NFL quarterback who signed a 10-year extension for $103 million with the New England Patriots in 2001. Two games into the season, they were playing the New York Jets and he was tackled by a linebacker. He was hit so hard that he went to the sideline they were asked if he would run the play left and he didn't know what left was. He actually went in for a couple plays still and later they found out not only was he concussed but he was internally bleeding and what many don't know is Drew Bledsoe almost died. But what happened was is another quarterback was waiting in the wings and got an opportunity to lead the New England Patriots. And his opportunity was so received and he stepped up so much, we'd never hear Drew Bledsoe call another hike in a New England uniform. Anybody know the name of who took over for him? A guy by the name of Tom Brady. And he went on to win championship after championship after championship. He was in the right position. He was familiar to the system. He was waiting his turn. And when his turn came, he took it and went. It's the Matthias principle. And any young person sitting here today, especially if you're just getting into high school and you're heading into college or you're thinking career, I want you to listen to our seven practical points as we close. And if you're here today and you say, Chris, I need some grace. Why? I've betrayed people. I've lost people's trust. I want you to hear this as ways you can build back trust. And so our seven acts of faith today are gonna be things you can do to rebuild trust or to build trust to be selected when the moment comes. You can write them down, you can process them yourself, you can discuss them in your small groups or in your watch groups, but seven acts of faith when you have to wait your turn, but you're gonna step up in the moment it happens, or seven acts of faith that can rebuild trust if you feel you've lost it. Here they are. One, just get in there. What do I mean? Young people, stop waiting for the perfect job. Just get in there. But it doesn't really pay good. I don't care if they don't pay at all. Get in there, okay? Just take the job, okay? They're only offering me Kids Town Boys Group on Wednesday nights. I took it. I wanted to be at the church. Just get in there. Get going in where you want to be. But there's only, like, it's only like, you know, it's only tying shoes in the sneaker store. You want to run Foot Locker? Yeah. Okay, tie the shoes in the sneaker store. Get in there. Okay, just get in there. Get placed. Get where you want to be. If you've betrayed someone's trust, get back in there. You're not going to gain it sitting around crying on a couch. Get back into the relationship and do it in a calm, slow way, but get back in there and let gentleness run its course. But just get in there in humility. Become familiar to the organization. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. So many people waiting for the biggest job, the biggest paycheck, just get in there. Second, stay put. Stay put, it's not that hard. You're gonna have to persevere through things. You wanna know how we watch young people and whether we can build trust? Whether they can persevere through difficulty. It got hard, they quit, all right, next. Stay put. Perseverance is applauded and it builds trust. When you see somebody go through a difficult time for you and stick with you, you trust them like you can't believe. Just stay put. My buddy, his name was Kurt. 
We were in college together. We had apartments together. We heard this advice. We said, we'll go somewhere. We'll just stay put, see what happens. Years later, I was a lead pastor of this church. I took a group of people to Sight and Sound where he just went in as a stagehand. I walked up to one of the members. I said, hey, um, is Kurt here? I would like to talk to him. And um, she looked at me like this. I said, Kurt, Kurt Edwards? Oh, Curtis. I said, oh, oh, Curtis. Could I please talk to Curtis? My roommate came walking down. He's got, he's got you know, an iPads. He's got microphones all hooked on. He's running basically the show. I'm watching him as a stage manager. He comes up, yo, Chris, what's up? Stay put. Went in, shoveling poop for the camels, okay? Before you know it, he goes, turn that light on. Next, over here. Stay put. Why do you have to leave the blossom? Grow where you're planted. All our buddies, they went from this job to this job, this job, this job. Just stay put. See what God has for you. Unless he leads you, leads you somewhere else, stay put. Three, be responsible with little things. This isn't just a heads up. This is biblical. If you can't be trusted with the little things, nobody's gonna give you any big things. Young people, just be good at what they've asked you to do. Just that. Husbands, you gotta be faithful in those moments where you're driving in the car. You blew up on her last time. If you blow up on her again, you're gonna distance that trust again. Because every time you lose control, she doesn't feel safe. And when you don't feel safe with someone, you're going to lose someone. They need to feel safe. So you got to be faithful when you miss your turn to not explode in the little things. So her trust continually can be rebuilt. Show respect. Respect's a two-way street. Learn this, young people. Don't expect to get respect from your teachers if you sit in the back of the class like this. Respect's a two-way street. If you want people to respect you, you gotta show them respect. Husbands, you complain about your wife in public? She said, I mean, you really see what I gotta deal with. Respect's a two-way street. You wanna know why she doesn't respect you? Because you don't respect her. I've been hard on husbands. Ladies, you gossip about your husband on Facebook and with all the ladies and stuff? What makes you think he's gonna respect that when you're trashing him online? Respect's a two-way street. It builds trust when you show someone respect. Third, fourth, fifth here, I think. <laughs> Do what they value. Do what they value. Find out what the leadership values and do it. Athletes, find out what your coach values in an athlete. Hey, coach, what are you looking for in an athlete? I'm, I'm, I'm far more a character guy than a talent guy. All right, coach values character. Know what they value. Wives, if you lost your husband's respect, find out what he values and gain it. Teenagers, find out what mom and dad value. They value that when I say I'm going to be home, I actually come home. They seem to value that. Well, to do it. And you'll rebuild their trust. Become irreplaceable. I got a job at Staples in North Wales when I was like 20. And my, my guy came up to me, he said, hey, Chris, you want to know how to not lose your job? Like, yeah, yeah, give it to me. He goes, just learn how to do everything. Even the managers don't know how to do everything. Just learn how to do everything. You're irreplaceable. So I did. I learned how to do the copier. There was a copy center. I, I learned how to do merchandising. I learned how to do the front. I learned everything. And before you know it, I heard one of my bosses say to me, Chris, we really, we really just keep giving you raises because you're irreplaceable. We can't, we can't send you anywhere. You know how to do everything. You know how to do stuff. Become irreplaceable, young people. Get into your job and learn everything you can about it. Initiative is always spotted. Spouses, young people, relationships that have been damaged, you become irreplaceable when you become a person who serves. Serve them. You build back trust by serving someone you've betrayed. And then finally, trust God's timing. Trust God's timing. I had a guy come up to me after the first service. He said, Chris, I waited in the wings for a long time for my opportunity. I worked in a job I didn't like for a long time. I suffered long and the Lord knew it. But God gave me the opportunity of a lifetime and when it came, I took it. And God has done amazing things. Heavenly Father, I do wonder how it made you feel when he kissed you on the cheek. There were moments you probably laughed with him. There were moments you taught him there were moments where you saw his eyes when you came up out of the water being baptized and then he kisses you on the cheek. 
I wonder how it makes you feel when the prodigal just won't come home. I wonder how it makes you feel when we willingly disobey you. I wonder how it makes you feel when the lamb just goes astray. Does it feel like another thorn in your brow? Does it feel like another close friend's broken vow? Does it feel just like Judas' kiss? Heavenly Father, there's no one in this room that can look at Judas and say, I'm not like him. We all have these things of betrayal in us. We've all made mistakes, God, and we've all willingly walked into sin at times. God, we need your grace. If there's someone in here today who knows they don't have a relationship with you, they're not even on the list, let alone last, I pray today they would seize the moment and step up, become a follower of you. You tell us in your word, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Is there someone sitting on a couch today that's been betrayed by someone here on earth? Maybe even tears roll down their face now because they know that pain. Their heavenly father, Jesus, their savior, knows that pain and he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Be my child. Enter a relationship with me and call on my name. Lord, if there's a child of God out there that has felt this pain while being on earth, whether it happened in a schoolyard, whether it happened in a dark private room where someone took advantage of them, whether it happened in a marriage, whether it happened in a relationship with a parent. God, I know you're a forgiving God and you can heal them, but they've got wounds, God, and they gotta deal with them. Trust has to be rebuilt and it always starts with us. But I pray you remind every child of God in this room that although humans may fail them, you never will. And there's nothing they could ever do that would make you love them less. And may they walk out of here today with a renewed vigor to keep their vows, with a renewed vigor to not slander a friend, with a renewed vigor to stay faithful to the mission you've called us to. And may we pioneer into the unknown, doing whatever, whenever, however you ask us to do it. May we pioneer for you, God, and may we do so with faithfulness, learning a lesson from the life of Judas and walking forward with the warning of what it could mean in our lives. We love you, Lord. We thank you for loving us. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.